Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm host of the show, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com website. Today's program will cover the health care reform legislation. This is the hot topic of our era, how our health care system is changing, what Congress has done to make the health care system better. To discuss this with us, we're going to be speaking with Professor Mark Hall, a legal scholar at Wake Forest University. I'm very excited to talk to Mark about this because most of what we hear in the news is presented to us from people with a partisan position. Today, we're going to cut through all that partisan bickering and find out the real scoop. Mark is one of the nation's leading scholars in the area of healthcare law, policy, and medical and bioethics. He's the editor or author of 15 books, including Making Medical Spending Decisions and Healthcare Law and Ethics. He does research in the area of consumer-driven healthcare, doctor-patient trust, insurance regulation, and even genetics. Mark's works have been published by the law reviews of some of the top universities in the country. He teaches uh, both at the law school of Wake Forest and uh, does research on the medical school faculty there. He regularly consults with government officials, foundations, and think tanks about healthcare public policy issues. I feel very fortunate to have him on the show today. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Glad to, glad to do it, Steve. So, Dr. Feldman, I'm sorry. Yeah, Steve is great. So the Congress has passed and the president has signed health care reform legislation. Does this bill really do anything? <laughs> it's a monumental achievement. It really monumental. is. I, I think wow. it's the, the biggest uh, achievement in health care public policy, certainly since the passage of uh, Medicare and Medicaid in the 1960s. Um, so I think it's uh, it's going to be the most important uh, law in health care um, and, and probably in social policy for another generation at least. Assuming it stays in place. I guess we'll come to that. So what, what has it done? Has it changed the insurance system? It is. It has. It's really fundamentally um, changed one basic principle of insurance, which is uh, that now people can get health insurance uh, regardless of their health condition or their pre-existing conditions. So before, it was only people who purchased through large groups like uh, employers that could get coverage for uh, folks who already had health problems. And now um, anyone can. And so uh, that is such a basic sort of fundamental human right or civic uh, uh, responsibility to cover people uh, who are sick. Uh, that's the whole purpose of health insurance, that making that change, I think, is... is, is um, is really uh, foundational to um, to be to, to to living in this country, and I, I guess one of the as the practical aspects about that foundational change is that 
now we're not trying to solve the insurance system by, um, you know, having a partial coverage of, of the population, but by covering broadly everybody, it changes some of the dynamics of insurance. It does. And um, the, the main thing is that um, if, we, if we let people wait to buy insurance until they feel like they really need it, uh, which you can characterize as buying insurance on the way to the hospital, uh, the system doesn't work. Uh, you, you can't uh, run an insurance uh, marketplace where people uh, don't buy it uh, until they r- really need it. You've got to require people. Well, you've got to find a way to have everybody covered or most people covered um, uh, all the time. And, and that way, when they're picking and choosing insurance companies, they're doing so simply because they're looking for better insurance rather than uh, wanting to use it for the first time. And, and so that's really the most critical feature of all this. Um, whether we cover 100% of people or only 95% of people, um, that's close enough to getting us to where we need to be to tell the insurance companies they can't turn anybody away. Um, but if we let, you know, 10, 15, 20% of the people opt out, uh, then we have to go back to the old way where insurance companies have to examine each individual applicant to see what might be wrong with them before they issue a policy. And so the main point of all this is, I mean, not only to, to have insurance available for everyone, but to uh, alter the rules uh, by which uh, insurance is sold. So at the fundamental level, we have a trade-off. We, we'd like a system that guarantees everybody the right to be covered, guarantees coverage for everybody, whether they're sick or not. But the trade-off for doing that is that, well, you have to require that everybody participate. Otherwise, they, they would exercise their right to be insured only in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. That's exactly right, Steve. You've nailed it on the head. All right. So specifically now, you know, I hear so many people talking about the bill, and I wonder if they, they have any idea what, what, what the true features are. What, are. what are the biggest practical effects of the bill right now? Uh, well, this year, uh, the biggest practical effects are that, um, well, first of all, the, these main features don't take effect for uh, at least three years, three and a half years in, in 2014. Um, in the meantime, uh, people who have um, health conditions that keep them from getting insurance can um, go to what's known as a high-risk pool, which is simply a, um, a government-subsidized uh, program that covers people with, uh, with health conditions. Um, those are expected to open up sometime in the next six months or so, I believe. Uh, they'll be expensive, but at least they'll be available. Um, and, uh, and so that'll be a big relief for people who've been kept out of the marketplace uh, so far. Um, other than that, there are certain um, sort of consumer protections that go in uh, immediately. Uh, insurers can no longer cancel policies for people who are already covered simply because they get sick. Um, and uh, they can't exclude children because of pre-existing conditions. Oh, and those 26-year-olds, which I've got a couple of those. Wow. Uh, you can keep them on your family policy, even if they're not full-time students. So if your kids get kicked out of college, that's okay. They can still be insured. <laughs> One of the odd things about our insurance system, the way it used to be set up, was that it limited people's ability to change jobs. Uh, especially if they had some illness themselves or a family member who was sick. Uh, switching jobs was, was difficult because they were tied to one, um, t- tied to insure through their 
work, if they gave up their job, they would lose that insurance and not know what would happen at the other end, uh, whether they would be able to get insurance or not. This law changes that. This this fundamental change in whether we cover everybody or not, it changes um, that ability to change work, doesn't it? That's exactly right. I think that's one of the most important sort of protective features. Um, just to be clear, we had some of those protections before. When the Clinton health care reform plan failed 15 years ago, Congress did step in with certain uh, more limited protections that applied only to group coverage that said if you move from one job to another job um, and, 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 and got under your new insurance within 60 days, uh, you could remain covered without having to worry about, you know, waiting periods or um, uh, pre-existing conditions. I hate to keep on using that term, but it's just, I think by now everybody's heard the term enough to know what it means. But uh, in any event, the law, the, the law that was currently in place uh, did protect uh, people who changed jobs uh, only this, if they went from one group policy to another group policy. This is and the COBRA did, rules. Uh, HIPAA, it's called. Ah, they HIPAA. did so within 60 days. Um but um, or if they didn't let their insurance drop, basically, and, and, and that's how the COBRA, if, if they were out of job for more than 60 days, they would use COBRA to keep uh, coverage until they got the new job. And then uh, so that that element of portability had been protected. But it, it was very difficult to maintain. I mean, first, the, the COBRA coverage, which is paying for your own insurance, you know, in between jobs, uh, was very expensive, is very expensive. Um, and secondly, um, if if you went to a, a job that may not have benefits, um, or if, if if because you're unemployed you just don't have money to keep up your insurance, uh, you know, from uh, and you have to drop it for more than 60 days, then you would lose this protection of of portability um, of being able to move. So the new law, which by the way we need to give this new law a name, and let me come to that in just a minute. But, uh, 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 this new law. Um, would protect people whose insurance drops, uh, you know, for any length of time. They could get back in when, when they got their finances in order. Um, and I think that's a huge psychological benefit it, 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 because people stuck in jobs that they don't like and career paths that are unsatisfying, it's a big uh, risk to jump into a new path. And I've got a couple, several family members, in fact, uh, who are in this situation, uh, brother, sister, sister-in-law, all of whom... Um, had thought about changing uh, career paths at some point, but uh, basically stayed where they were because of their insurance, uh, not knowing that if they left one job, they you know, might not get another one within the two months uh, window that they had to, uh, to do that. And now, you know, if they're feeling healthy and what have you, they could take a chance, and if it didn't work out, they would have this protection. And, and I think that really will be a huge benefit to people um, in terms of, uh, their basic mindset about not feeling stuck where they are and, and, and willing to take opportunities when they present themselves. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm Steve Feldman. We're speaking today with legal scholar Mark Hall. Uh, Mark, I know that you were really busy leading up to the healthcare reform legislation. Everybody wanted to speak with you. And then the legislation finally passed, and it's and and perhaps you thought it was going to be time for a breather, but then came all the hype about well we're gonna th- this is unconstitutional we're we're gonna we're gonna stop this thing in this, their tracks we we see states across the union attorney generals uh, you know um, 
perhaps for partisan reasons, saying, oh, we're going we're gonna to sue to stop this. Um, this idea of the federal government mandating insurance coverage, is, is, that, is that kosher? Is, is, that, is that constitutional within our system? Well, I won't speak to anyone's religion about what's kosher. <laughs> but, and they're actually, uh, no uh, joking aside, there, so there is a religious exemption. So if it's against your religion uh, and you can prove it, you don't have to comply. But it's, it is a new uh, and strong measure for the government to require people to buy uh, insurance and, and for that requirement to come from the, uh, the federal government. Um, and uh, unlike uh, automobile insurance, which is something you have to buy if you have a car, uh, here you have to buy this insurance simply by being a citizen uh, uh, of the United States. And and that really does rankle to some people's sort of um, libertarian instincts, yeah. the idea of, uh, you know, the rugged individual uh, being free to go live life the way they want and not being told by uh, anyone, much less the government, uh, how to spend their money. But viewed another way, um, it, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do for a couple of reasons. One is we government tells us how to spend our money every April 15th, <laughs> And there's no question, and and some people think that that's unconstitutional. But uh, you know that's a, a very extreme fringe view, the the income tax, um, and uh, we all understand the need to pay our taxes, and that uh, in order to keep society working, um, and and so the government clearly could have simply raised everybody's taxes and essentially put everybody on Medicare or some type of government insurance, and there's no question that that would have been constitutionally permitted. And so what the government's done is actually given us more choices. It's said that we're going to insist that everybody be covered, uh, but we're going to let you choose what kind of coverage to get uh, instead of forcing you into a government plan. Um, and so we really should not object on freedom of choice or libertarian grounds, uh, this uh, being given this option to choose the kind of insurance we want. It's really much more freedom uh, and liberty respecting than the next best option, which clearly would be constitutional. Um, but still, technically, people argue that, all right, you could raise my taxes and, and stick me on a government plan, but you can't force me to buy something I don't want to buy. Uh, at this point, it would just be a technical argument, and, and it basically doesn't doesn't carry any weight. There's no constitutional precedent that actually uh, would support this argument. Um, um, there's no sort of constitutional principle that would support it either. Uh, the strongest argument is simply it hasn't been done before, it hasn't been tested, and therefore maybe it exceeds uh, the federal powers because we don't have a clear ruling that it's within the federal powers. Um, and I'm happy to go into that more detail. I am a law professor, and I can I can go on at, 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 at length on at, that, at, at the nauseating yeah. length about it. But uh, the suffice it to say that um, the courts have very strong uh, presumption in favor of the constitutionality of, of what Congress does because Congress swears the same oath to the Constitution as, as the courts do, and they thought about it carefully, and they deliberated, and and, um, and so um, there isn't any sort of notion that it has to be, uh, you know, ruled constitutional before it's valid. It's presumed constitutional until it's shown to be invalid, and there's, there's really no um, strong argument uh, against its constitutionality. Well, you know, I, I don't see people getting all upset because children up to the age of 26 or 27 are going to have coverage. And I guess perhaps they're concerned, oh, this just puts us on the slippery slope of more and more and more government control. Um, well, I, I don't want to try to 
guess at what other people are concerned about. I, I guess one of the, the potential concerns um, are, uh, would be that rule of unintended effects, so that, okay, the, the government has, has um, covered more people now, so maybe businesses are going to give up the insurance coverage they're providing their employees now because there's this government option. Um, I, I think you mentioned there was a subsidized pool, and so people mm-hmm. could could drop their coverage. Is, is that is that a concern with this? No, case? that is a real worry, and it was a worry of mine. Um, as you as you, I'm sure you know, and and, and many listeners uh, would likely know that uh, the federal law is modeled after what Massachusetts did, uh, actually under the leadership of uh, of uh, Mitt Romney when he was the governor. Um, and um, uh, they adopted the same general scheme of uh, requiring that individuals uh, be uh, covered and, and, and then essentially putting a tax on employers who, um, who uh, failed to provide uh, insurance. Um, and so employers were simply encouraged to maintain coverage, but individuals uh, were required to maintain coverage. And so we watched... Uh, Quite with quite a bit of anticipation to see what would happen there, and people did expect employers to drop out and just pay the tax because that tax was actually pretty mild in in Massachusetts. Uh, things like three hundred dollars a person um, who for each worker they didn't cover, um, and that's a whole lot less than um, uh, you know than buying insurance. Um, but what happened was just the opposite. Employer coverage actually strengthened uh, in Massachusetts. Um, and, and, and here's why. Here's the sort of the, the, the mystery is solved in this way. When people realize they have this obligation to get insurance and, and, and they realize the, how you know, complicated it is to go figure it out and find it and then, you know, the, the hassle of paying for it and everything, uh, they very much wanted their employer to take care of this. Uh, and so in looking for jobs and, and uh, what have you, uh, people even more than before began to insist that uh, – uh, the employer provide or maintain the health insurance benefit or version I was told by anecdotally is that, you know, somebody even kind of at the lower end of the pay scale who, let's say, is looking at a job that pays $12 an hour versus one that pays $10 an hour with benefits, uh, people would opt for the $10 with benefits instead of the 12 without, figuring that you know they had to uh, had to be covered and 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 that's something they uh, they very much wanted uh, the employer to take care of so so the, the in that sense the individual mandate reinforced uh the employer's responsibility and and so things held steady in Massachusetts so i hope that that will occur here uh nationwide but i i am concerned because i think that um there the sense of sort of civic responsibility is really uh being eroded by all this um Sort of uh, rabble rousing by these uh, state uh, attorney generals who are trying to, you know, score political points by filing these lawsuits. Well, now let's just yeah, we we can assume they're trying to um, score political points, but for all we know, they have real objections that um, go beyond just. I, I don't want to try to put um, motivation in their heads that they may not ascribe to. Uh, but, but you may be fair, right. Fair enough. No, I mean, I do think that there's legitimate uh, arguments to be made that that, that, that the court should hear and, and, and clarify. My uh, my uh, sort of harsh remarks are motivated in part by the fact that what's really at stake here are uh, individual rights rather than states' rights. And 
and I see the role as attorney generals as uh, enforcing the state's rights. And um, if, 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 if there are individual arguments about infringing individuals' rights, I think those lawsuits ought to be brought by individuals and not by states. But that's my two cents worth. Well, that, that sounds reasonable. Um, now, if an individual – one of the things that I understand from something you wrote in a Seton Hall Law article – well, that's going way back. Yeah, well, it would go way back six months ago. Uh, it uh, it was uh, one of the points you were making about whether this mandate is constitutional or not is that um, it if it's set up as a tax, and clearly the federal government has the ability to tax. And so, if an individual doesn't want to participate, all they got to do is pay the tax, and and then. But and the tax, at least up front, is not likely to be as expensive as insurance. And I'm just wondering if. If some sneaky young individuals who are generally healthy and who don't think they're going to have a problem would say, okay, well, look, I'll I'll just pay the tax. And then if I get sick, well, then I'll sign up for the insurance. Mm -hmm. No, that is a concern. And and partly that depends on uh, how uh, Department of Health and Human Services comes out with their regulations um, that will define how easy it is to sign up for insurance. So... um, I think initially we'll we'll see that it's going to be you know everybody's welcome come sign up. But after that, you may be limited to a once a month open enrollment period, or there may be a rule that says once you sign up, you, 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 there is a three month waiting period or something like that. Um, I don't know the exact details, but I don't think you'll literally be be able to buy insurance on the way to the hospital <laughs> once the law takes effect. Because uh, if you could, then uh, you're exactly right that uh, uh, that would invite people just to to um, pay their fine and stand aside and, 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 and wait for something to happen. So let's assume that um, at least uh, you're required to, if you're going to sign up to do it, you know, only once a year, and um, even then you could wait to say, well, I'm healthy, and, you know, once uh, I get married and start to have kids, you know, or plan my family, then I'll sign up for insurance, you know, um, you can plan that. And if in the meantime I get in a car wreck, well, there's the emergency room to take care of me, so I'll, I'll still be okay, uh, uh, but the point is that, yeah, so this fine that you have to pay, which starts out at 1% of income and then goes up to 2.5% of income, would be less than your insurance. But you would, uh, first of all, be paying a fine. You'd be technically you know, violating the law. It's not a criminal sanction. It's just a civil fine. Um, uh, the, the second is that you, um, you wouldn't be getting anything for that. So you're paying the money and getting nothing uh, versus... Uh, let's say, paying twice as much and getting full insurance. So um, I think most people don't like to pay uh, something and get nothing for That's it. That's so, so true. Uh, um, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, so we'll have to see. Yes, uh, we'll have to see. So many and, of these and, unintended yeah. consequences, things, they sometimes work in unexpected directions, as you pointed out for um, what happened with the employer coverage in Massachusetts. Well, Okay, so we've talked about the coverage so much, and that's one of the two big components of our health care crisis. The other component of our health care crisis um, is the high cost of care. Mm-hmm. It's consuming the budget, and it's projected to get worse and worse. And this bill is going to solve that for us, right? Well, let me uh, steer away from your question uh just a second. Okay. Great setup, but I, I just had to jump here at some point. We, what do we call this thing? This bill, this law, this new thing? Uh, I mean, 
a lot of people are just calling it Obamacare. At first, that was pejorative, you know, like this is uh, Barack Obama running our health care system. Now, you know, there's sort of certain pride in saying, yes, this is Barack Obama's big achievement. But I don't think it's going to go down as, in history as Obamacare. Um, uh, but it needs a name. And so uh, I have a name to propose. Um, uh, we have Medicare for the elderly. I think we should call this AmeriCare because it's really for all of us. So I'm going to start calling it AmeriCare. All right. You can join in with me if you want or not. <laughs> Maybe it's trademarked. I haven't looked it up. <laughs> so uh, will AmeriCare um, uh, deal with costs? No, uh, uh, not at all. Uh, so you'd think that uh, the, the first thing you need to do before you get everybody covered is figure out how to make it affordable. But it, it's just uh, this, this is what um, uh, the Clinton uh, effort uh, discovered. You can't simultaneously... Politically speaking, uh, it doesn't appear possible to simultaneously uh, solve the cost problem and the coverage problem. Uh, and the reason is that um, solving the cost problem uh, directly uh, threatens too many uh, strong vested uh, interests by uh, various provider groups that um, uh, have a lot of stake in, 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 uh, in legitimate um, uh, concerns about protecting um, the piece of the pie that uh, allows them to do their good work. Um, uh, it it's also bundles in uh, a lot of concerns about uh, health care rationing, uh, about uh, uh, lawsuits and, and, the, and the appropriate role to juries in deciding about medical malpractice, um, and, and other, other issues that are really sort of lightning rod uh, issues. Um, so all, all those issues were left aside because um, uh, the, this uh, politically savvy um, White House realized that um, it's going to be difficult to get health care reform done if you've got the simultaneous opposition of the doctors and the hospitals and the pharmaceutical industry. And, in fact, they had just the opposite. They had uh, the AMA supporting this. The uh, first time the AMA has ever supported uh, any form of comprehensive health care reform that did not have liability reform uh, in it. And, and I, I was quite impressed uh, by their uh, doing the socially responsible thing, from my point of view. Um, it, it was not opposed by the hospital industry, and it was actively supported by um, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but what that tells you, then, is there, there aren't... Uh, uh, no big sticks against those industries. There's no big sticks, exactly. So um, so there you have it. And, and so... Clearly, the cost containment still needs to be done, and in some fashion. And so that's the other shoe that has to fall. And uh, how it falls, and where it falls, and what have you, is, is you know the the next big act in this uh, in this uh, ongoing drama. Does having this fundamental change where everybody's covered somehow make it easier? I I, I had the sense that okay, if everybody was covered by single payer. Well, then it makes it easy to bring down costs because the government could say, well, we're not going to pay for this, and we're only going to pay this for that, and drug companies, we're going to only pay you half of what you're asking, and things like that. Mm -hmm. With this new system of you still have choice, there's all the private insurers, you haven't eliminated them, where does – is there any greater leverage in this system for lowering costs than the system we were at before? Uh, there are a few additional levers. Um I, I uh, think of sort of mythical tales where little small creatures try to tie down the huge giant. Which one is that with all these little strings and things? <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, and so we have a few more, um, uh, you know, 
hooks to uh, sort of uh, hook onto the, the, the you know the giant beast of, of, of uh, healthcare uh, inflation, but but nothing um, nothing really sort of dramatically strong enough to uh, to control the the, the healthcare healthcare costs. So uh, what you have are these new purchasing exchanges. Uh, an exchange is basically uh, I don't know, an eBay for health insurance, if you will. That's a bad example. I mean, Amazon or something, mm-hmm. you know, where, where you can, um, you know, either uh, electronically or by paper, see what's offered, uh, do comparison shopping, and purchase in a way that, um, you know, that the rules are being followed and that the sellers are, are, are pre-screened to, to, to be reputable and, and, and to offer uh, good value. And so uh, these exchanges will be set up in each state, and um, it's these exchanges through which you receive your subsidies. So uh, uh, over half the population would be eligible for some type of subsidy um, um, uh, for their health insurance purchase. And um, they will um, be um, – uh, and, and, and to take advantage of that, uh, they'll purchase through the exchanges. Now, the exchanges then will be able to – then assert more control over the market than before, but mainly they're asserting their control over the insurance companies. They'll say to the insurance companies, your prices are too high, You're, we're not going to offer your, your insurance policies. I see. Why are they too high? Well, maybe they're not getting the discounts uh, that other insurers are getting from, from providers. So, so the insurers then will have an incentive to keep down their administrative costs, to negotiate stronger discounts from their suppliers uh, in order to compete. Well, that yeah. makes sense. How about... Um, uh, but that's already true now for uh, covering large employers. So we're really just taking the way the market currently works for large employers and trying to make it work that way also for individuals and that, small groups. So. That, that's a wonderful point. And then um, cost-effectiveness panels and things like that. Is, uh, does this well, all build- this is sort of getting introduced in a kind of an experimental trial basis, an advisory basis. So we'll see a lot of information coming out about uh, you, you know government agencies uh, recommending this and and whatever, but that's never really done much in the past. I mean, it's done something. It's, it's done something, but it's it's always um, simply been what it is: advisory and um, um, not you know not mandatory. Well, I, I wonder if the people who think this bill is the sky is falling are looking at those that slice of the of the reform and saying, "Oh my God, this is this is the um, the toe in the door." for government control of what will be paid for, what people will be allowed to have, how much government will pay for certain things? Well, frankly, it could well be, because uh, going back to the point of having to have everybody covered and uh, if, if, if you're going to comply with the mandate, or even if the mandate applies to you, because uh, if the net cost of insurance is more than 8% of your income, you're not subject to the mandate. So if, if the costs go up too high, fewer, uh, you know, uh, fewer people will have to buy insurance. Fewer people actually will buy insurance, and then the whole insurance reform starts to uh, unravel because you get back to this problem of uh, too many people waiting until they really need it to buy the insurance. So um, that behavior is driven by the cost, and and so if you if you don't uh, con- control cost um, to some extent, uh, the insurance piece falls apart. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on uh, the federal government and the people running these exchanges to. Uh, uh, to put these cost controls in effect. And again, you can look at Massachusetts, which is about three years, uh, three or four years out ahead of us on this, and it's a huge issue right now in the Massachusetts uh, uh, gubernatorial race. And um, uh, uh, you see 
and they're now talking about putting price controls on hospitals and, and uh, what have you in, in, uh, in Massachusetts. So uh, I don't think it's uh, a um, sky is falling sort of uh, concern. I, I, I do think it's, it's, uh, it's something that's likely to happen uh, uh, within the next 10 years, let's say. Well, Mark, I appreciate your time. Here in the last part of the show, I'd love to give you a chance to share with listeners any specific thoughts you have for ways, well, we often give listeners advice about things they can do to improve their health. If there's things you think they should be thinking about, what will be coming next with respect to uh, reform of our health system or things they should do, um, this is your chance. Well, I think the main thing... uh that the message I want to convey to listeners is uh, to set aside any hostility you might have to, politically uh, or to the to the idea, and try to be open to what this uh, Americare has to offer. Uh, there really is a, something in this law for just about everybody, um, and and its its basic purposes are, are sort of are fundamentally uh, just and, and 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 sort of socially. Um, uh, appropriate and the means of uh, of going about it are uh, not at all heavy-handed. So just give it some time to uh, unfold, uh, give it a chance to work. Um, I mean, for employers, for instance, uh, I really encourage them not to start dropping their coverage. Let's wait and see how these exchanges work. Uh, for individuals, um, you know, don't look the gift horse in the mouth too much if there are government uh, subsidies available to you uh, you know take advantage of them and uh, uh, because basically uh, you know I think so much fear and misinformation was stirred up that uh, the bit uh, when the dust settles people will see I can basically keep insurance that I've got I can see the doctors that I want to see uh, and life will go pretty on pretty much as it has before except I'll have more of this safety net protection uh, that's been missing, um, and to sort of see things for what it, what they are instead of what they might be, or or what uh, uh, someone has uh, <laughs> distorted the picture uh, to look like. Mark, thank you so much for cutting through the partisan hype for us. I greatly appreciate it. Glad to talk, Steve. Mark presents us with a, a clearer picture of the health care reform legislation. He presents it as a fundamental change, one of the biggest changes in how healthcare is organized in the United States since Medicare and Medicaid in the 1960s. The health care reform legislation does this by trying to get everybody covered. It doesn't get everybody covered, but it, it comes close. It does it in a way that tries to maintain people's liberties, but of course you can only go so far in doing that when you need to make everybody be covered. The government didn't come out with a single system where the, the government controls everything. On the other hand, it's instituted a mandate that requires people to participate in the system. Well, that certainly has its ups and downs, and people uh, can reasonably disagree on whether that's a good thing or not. But I like Mark's point. In, in doing so, let's put aside our hostilities that, that we may carry into this, no matter what side we're on. Um, the, the approach that has been taken is done in the interests of, of ensuring people, of, of making sure that all Americans have access to good health care and not in the interests of some government takeover. Whether this ends up being the foot in the door towards 
greater government in, involvement in healthcare has yet to be seen. I think Mark recognizes that it may be to some extent because what this bill has done is it's made health care available for nearly everybody, but it hasn't really done a whole lot to address the costs of that care. And, and what will be done in the future to bring down the costs uh, is yet to be seen. Will it be uh, government mandates about what will be covered, what won't be? Well, based on on what's in this health care reform, I guess that's possible, but doesn't seem likely. This bill managed to pass because it wasn't a government takeover in the entire health system, and it could be that people will come up with other ways of controlling costs, perhaps by making patients more responsible for their health care decisions, um, but, but that remains to be seen. In the meantime, as Mark says, let's, let's see what happens. Uh, we know now that kids will be able to stay on insurance longer, insurance should be affordable for more people. Those are good things. Whether that will be taken away, uh, I have my doubts. Uh, whether someone will find that that this plan, that this, this legislation is unconstitutional, I think Mark would argue is very unlikely. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Next week, we'll be speaking with a representative from an insurance company. She'll be sharing with us her perspective on health care reform and the health care reform legislation. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, have a great and healthy week. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's drscore.com, drscore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.